0: I guess the place that I always need to start is that people always wonder where my wife is. Um, And so I need to explain her whereabouts. Um, uh, She still loves me, um, I think. Um, But our daughter, uh, who lives here in town, had a a piece of surgery this morning, outpatient surgery. And her husband and two sons are both in a school play at MUS, and uh, they're practicing tonight. Because it opens tomorrow night, so there's nobody to take care of my daughter. So um, my wife is with my daughter, Gracie, taking care of her. So that's, uh, that's that. Uh, I, I also went to the doctor. Um, I, I thought I had allergies. Um, uh turns out I have consumptive lung disease, I think. Um, I have bronchitis, so I'm uh, drugged up and um, uh, hopefully I, I, I'm getting better. And then finally, um, this is on your little, uh, on your table about, um, one of the things that Kevin Weeders has really done, um, I think, so much better than we've ever done it before, and that is to try and let you know what's going on in this athletic ministry. It is not an athletic program, it is an athletic ministry, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, these guys are really doing it well. Um, I don't know whether you know this, but I, I just think this is the coolest thing. You know, um, we want to reach anybody and everybody, but uh, we'd love to reach the Hispanic community. But, you know, you look around this neighborhood, there's not a whole lot of Hispanics in this neighborhood, right? So, Jonathan Todd, and, and I think somebody else ran across a couple of guys. Sucasa, which is a ministry that we support, and then a church on Winchester, just, uh, just west of Hickory Hill. Is that right, Hickory Hill? Uh, called N- Nuevo Direccionis. New Directions, uh, which is that the, 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 um, the, the Anglo version is right up the street. Well, they started a Hispanic version, and the pastor's a guy by the name of Greg Diaz. And, um, I, and how this all came about, I'm, I'm, I'm running through this real quickly. But uh, all of a sudden, um, we had 120 Hispanic kids who are um, signed up for a soccer league. We have our own soccer league here at Gracie Van, and, and the vast majority, I would say, uh, I don't know, uh, we maybe we've got 160 kids in it, and 120 of them are, um, and Greg Diaz told us if we advertise at all, we'll have a 1,000 um, in a soccer league right back here, and they come out here, and they hear the gospel at every game, at every practice, um, right out here, and then, and I see Karen Jordan walking in. Karen Jordan is teaching a class on, um, on something. What is it? Um, uh, to the mothers? Um, low, impact low impact aerobics. So while the mothers and their kids are playing and practicing soccer, there's an aerobics class here for them. And we're trying to get into English as a second language class. It's all through this athletic ministry, guys. And now we have an inroad to the Hispanic community that we've never had before. So if you're interested in any of this business about how we're using sports to try and uh, advance the kingdom, there is an informational meeting tonight, immediately after the service, meet in the gym lobby, rain or shine. Uh, The gym lobby is under roof. So um, that's tonight. Now uh, to the text, Um, go over back with me to uh, Galatians 4, and um, and let me just remind you, of a couple of things that that I've said, um, Paul's argument concerning the uh, um, justification by faith is pretty much summarized, or pretty much concluded at the end of verse seven of chapter four. I then told you that in the beginning in verse eight, he uh, he has a rebuke for the Galatian church, and um, you see it. Uh, Really, um, uh, in verse 9, and that's where the rebuke starts. How can you turn back again? And then from there to the end, (coughs) pardon me, (coughs) to the end of verse 20, is a section of scripture that I wonder if God's people realize is in their Bibles. This um, This kind of thing. What I want to do is, um, as I want to read to you, beginning at verse 12 through verse 20, and then I want to comment about this kind of thing. What what do I have in mind? I, I hope this will be clear in a minute. Verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They made much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Um, guys, this little section of the book of Galatians has caused quite a stir. At, at, at least for me maybe maybe, maybe not you, but at least for me, it caused quite a stir and let me Let me just remind you of some of the things that we 've kind of already covered uh, up in verse nine, this whole idea of uh, not that you came to know God, but God came to know you, that you have come to know or rather to be known by God I, I, We spent a whole Wednesday night on that on that one little clause there, and we talked about uh, the biblical use of the word knowledge, what is what is the Old Testament, and what is Yadda? Um, and Adam knew his wife. Remember, we spent that whole, and, and that was a theologically challenging, or theologically um, interesting, at least I hope. But we've spent um, the, the whole Wednesday night on just that little phrase, uh, or rather, to be known by God. And then, then the rebuke started. The rebuke started in verse 9, that second half. How can you turn back? to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. And that week, um, we spent a whole week in that little section. Um, I mean, to paraphrase, guys, and I don't think this is overly dramatic. I tend to be overly dramatic, but I don't think this is overly dramatic. It's it's like, how could you? Um, And then you remember I mentioned... All seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation in the first three chapters—they're all gone now. I even mentioned First Baptist Memphis um, and their new positions, um, and then I, I, I very, very personally—you know—posed. Well, what about us? I read you that thing from Martin Lloyd Jones that institutions tend to become their opposites. Is that going to happen to us? I mean, are we going to turn back? Are we going to turn away? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to uh, this group of Christians at the church at Galatia and rebuking them um, <clears throat> for turning back, turning away from um, just the, the beauty of the gospel. And then, then the last Wednesday night we were together. We weren't together the last Wednesday because it was Holy Week. But, um, verse sixteen was um in our sights. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Um, you know that's that's just a very searching question i mean um remember i i I had that quote um I said that one of the commentators about this section said. This is a wailing remonstrance against an apprehended, incipient state of alienation. <laughs> Remember that? <clears throat> and I still don't know what that means. But, um, um, but, I mean, a wailing remonstrance, that is, he was upbraiding them, he was rebuking them, um, against apprehended, incipient state of alienation. <clears throat> and, and what I said to you then is, you know, I, it, you may think I'm overstating these matters, well, at least that author didn't think so. He calls it a wailing remonstrance. Um, <clears throat> the, the whole idea of truth. Truth making people mad. And remember I, I read to you from that book, uh, Well-Intentioned Dragons, about where dragons come from and and Then I showed you that book about They Cry Too and all that business. And, um, and, and what I said to you is that the reason that this passage, this section, is so, <clears throat> I don't know what else to call it, it's just so emotional, is because I think you're being taken into a place where the sausage is being made. No, <clears throat> I think better said is to say it like this. It's like you've just walked into a room where a husband and a wife are fighting. And you feel, mm, I'm very uncomfortable you know, <laughs> with them arguing like this right here in front of me. Well, that's what's happening here. You have a pastor, the man who planted this church, who is, who is saying things to this congregation that are... <clears throat> I don't know what you call them. I, I, rather than the word emotional, they're just—they're just. I mean, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I mean, how do you make that rosy? And and I think you know what happened in the Galatian church. Paul comes through Galatia, he plants the church. Uh, the whole gospel of justification by faith alone, and then all these people rally to that, to that message, and then Paul leaves, and the Judaizers come in, and they say, well, wait a wait, minute, wait. Paul is i right. like, okay, but you need to add this stuff. You've got to you know, you be circumcised, and you've got to obey the laws of Moses, if you ever expect and so, And so they kind of <clears throat> you know, redirected themselves. Paul hears of that, and he writes this letter. And he says, what do, y'all, what do you think you're doing? Um... There's a fight going on, ladies and gentlemen. There's a fight going on between a pastor and a congregation. It's not pretty to look at. And things like, have I become your enemy? I mean, really, guys. That's not, that's not comfortable to even talk about. Um, I think all of this, this little section, makes for a bit of discomfort on the part of the people of God. Um, at least it's uncomfortable for me because I see a pastor fighting with people that he loves. <clears throat> um, maybe all this discomfort, or maybe maybe you haven't felt it. I have felt it, but maybe, maybe it's my fault. Um, um, maybe these issues are just too... Um, maybe they're just too up close and personal. Uh, will you go back? Truth has made you mad. So that's where we are. <clears throat> we come down at verse seventeen, and it continues. I mean, there, there's really no let up until verse verse twenty. And um, I, I want to say just a brief word in my defense. <laughs> Um, if I have made you uncomfortable, please forgive me. But in my defense, I want you to know this. If you were to get a hold of the commentary that Martin Luther writes on the book of Galatians, the one that I I use a good deal in, in, in preparation for this, one thing that you would find very interesting, at least it is for me, Martin Luther writes pages. Multiple pages. On verse 17. Look at it. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He writes pages about verse 17 because he sees that is the very thing that's happening to him. By Rome, Martin Luther launches, or is humanly speaking, launches the, uh, the, the Protestant Reformation. And um, whereas the Apostle Paul is not talking about Rome, he's talking about Judaizers. Martin Luther reads this text and he says, well, dang dab it. That's what's happening to me. That's what Rome is doing to me. That they come in. What you see here is the tactics of the false prophet. <clears throat> they come in and, and they, they make much of you. But for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. Notice. That you may make much of them. Gang, if if you forsake the Christian liberty that is the result of the gospel of justification by faith, if you forsake the Christian liberty that that is ours as a result of the gospel, it will invariably lead you... To some, pardon me, to some form of ecclesiastical bondage. Ladies and gentlemen, any environment where the head guys are made much of, you are in bondage. Well, like where? Oh, I don't know. Roman Catholicism? Um, Judaism? Or brands of evangelical uh, I don't know how to call this um, rigorous legalistic circles If you've ever come out of one of those, ladies and gentlemen, the main guy is the one that names the tune. If you forfeit, it, it all starts theologically. If you begin to waver on a gospel that simply announces the completed work of Jesus Christ for sinners, If you forsake that theologically, then you you move towards some kind of performance-based religion where the leaders of that movement are made much of. I, I guess the worst example that I can give you is, do you really believe that a man could be infallible? Do you really believe that? Over anything? But that's exactly the position of the Roman Catholic Church. That they have a man at the top who on occasion can speak infallibly. Look at what it says. They make much of you but for no... They want you. They want to shut you out, that you may 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 make much of them. <clears throat> when you make much of them, inevitably, the one who is made less of is, of course, Jesus Christ, and he's important. But there is some kind of man out there in the, um, my religious circles who's got the final say. Just exactly what can Christians do and not do. And then, the next step is that you produce a brand of Christian that begins to evaluate their holiness Based on how they obey the laws that the big guy said you're supposed to obey. The big guy says, You're not supposed to drink alcohol. Okay. I don't drink alcohol. Therefore, I'm holy. Do you see how devilish that is, ladies and gentlemen? When you take a step away from the Christian liberty that is yours as a result of the pure and sweet gospel of Jesus Christ, you end up making much of some kind of authority structure that does your thinking for you and begins to name the tune as to what holy people do and what holy people don't do. Gang, listen to this. (laughs) You know, um, oh, I love the doctrine of justification by faith, but, but right under that, is this whole idea of Christian liberty. Guys, any curtailment of Christian liberty beyond legitimate biblical law is an entry into some kind of man-made bondage. Now, guys, is there biblical law? you bet there is. There is no way that anybody can i mean if if i if I um, make a big thing about a, not committing adultery, you can never call me a legalist because that's biblical law, and we need to preach it loud and clear. What I'm saying is any curtailment of my Christian liberty beyond that, beyond biblical law, is that you have entered into a realm of some kind of man-made bondage. And ultimately, because it's, it's ultimately due to the fact that you do not have a full grasp of the gospel of grace. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are rules and there, are, there is law. And it needs to be preached and it needs, to be sa- it needs to be sounded very firmly. But nothing beyond that. Nothing. It needs to be. But you see, If you make much of me, then I become the authority, and I say, you shouldn't go see R-rated movies. So you say, okay, I don't go see, because Dr. Young said, don't go see R-rated movies. And that must mean, pardon me, that I'm holier than the rest. Because you know, I got some friends at that church over there, and they go see R-rated movies. Now, guys, if you go see R-rated movies, you, you might be asking for it. Um, but nowhere, nowhere do I get the permission to tell you what movies you ought to be looking at and what, what, what you ought not be looking at. Now, there are some guiding principles in the New Testament. About fleeing youthful lusts and all those kinds of things, but for me to make that law, people at Grace of End don't go to see R-rated movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's say we don't. What does that? What does that mean? It means nothing. It means nothing. Jesus has this statement where he he says, "You tie the mitten, the coming, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law." Oh, you're good about staying away from R-rated movies? Are you way to go? But you're as snakes. You're gossipers, you're this. You, you, you ignore <clears throat> the weightier matters of the law. I do the easier matters of the law. I stay away from R-rated movies, and I conclude that I'm holy when in fact I am not. Any curtailment of the Christian liberty that is rightly mine Beyond biblical law, you're in bondage. And and, and that's what Luther saw Rome doing to the people of God. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you. They woo you. Guys, it's not even even bad to woo. If the wooing is done for a good purpose... So, it all comes down to motive. So, um, well, I'm, I'm somewhat far afield right now, but let me just. What is the motive behind the doctrine of purgatory? I don't know. I don't know what the motive is. But I can tell you this, and this is factual the doctrine of purgatory sure has been profitable. I, I didn't say I know the motive. It's um, it's not wrong to woo. If I woo unto a good purpose, but wooing unto a bad purpose, um, that's uh, that's what Paul is aimed at, and that's what Luther just um. And, and not only when I am present with you, uh, they make much of you, but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out, that you may make, make much of them. Um, uh, let me add this just real quick. Um, when somebody does curtail your Christian liberty, what it ends up doing is creating a false confidence in you, a false confidence that I'm really holy when I'm not because I obey the laws of the big guys. You know the the ones that told me what the what the laws are. Um, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, gang. I mean, what do you think that man is doing there? I mean, this is a pastor who's who's in a squabble with his people. Um, I, I'm not seeking personal gain. I don't want you to. I don't want you to be attached to me. But he describes his agony over those people as being the agony of a childbirth. You know, I've never had one of those. I've never had a childbirth. Um, But I, I think there's some people around who could tell us about it. But Paul describes the agony of pastoral ministry Like childbearing. Um, False teachers, they want to dominate their followers. Um, Paul longs to see Christ formed in them. Paul wants converts, they want proselytes. I want people, you know, in the Jimmy Young camp. Ooh! Now, <laughs> you know I'm about to announce something this summer about a little program I'm going to do this summer. You'll you'll hear about it this, this Sunday. It's just, um, but I'm going to teach this little discipleship course thing, and one of the um, <laughs> it's going to have three levels to it. And you know, in First John two, it talks about little children, young men, fathers. It seems to suggest that there's kind of a level of maturation. So I've got three levels of my little, my little institute. But the first level is going to be all how-tos, all how-tos. You know, um, and one of, the <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed almost to even announce this. One of the one of the courses is going to be how to parent. You know, um, I'm going to teach a course on how to parent. That, 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 ain't, that ain't good. And I, uh, by the way, one of the courses is, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll be there with myself. I'll be by myself on this Saturday. It's going to be how to give. I'll be alone on that one, won't I? That's all right. That's all right. But um, how to parent. Um, but guys, just because I did it badly, Doesn't mean that the principles are not true. That's my point. (laughs) The principles are still true, even though I've wrecked them. So I can come teach the principles. And by the way, I'm going to tell people that, uh, you know, know, do as I say, don't do as I do. Um, But we're still after righteous things. We just didn't. It just didn't pull it off very well. And I, I say all that to say this true teachers of the gospel care nothing for their own prestige, but they only want to see people spiritually progress. And I want to suggest to you that Martin Luther didn't do that very well. If you read these pages after pages after pages after, well, that's overstated. I mean, pages and pages. On verse 17 and 18. You see him so wounded. You, you hear him when he, when he comes to this part about agonizing childbirth. Um, You see him almost way too possessive of what's going on in the Protestant Reformation. And um, that's not good. I'm saying to you, and I'll say it to you again, true teachers care nothing about their own prestige. And Martin Luther didn't do that very well. And neither do I. It's pretty hard to watch people get exposed to reformed theology and then choose Arminianism. That's pretty hard. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you say, well, you shouldn't take that personally, Jimmy. Okay, you're right. But I do. And all I can tell you is, When I read Martin Luther, discussing what was going on with him, when he felt like he got mangled, and by the way, I don't feel mangled, when I saw him taking this so personally, I thought, I love you, brother. I love you loads. Because the principle is, True teachers care nothing for their own prestige. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. And just because I don't do it very well doesn't make it untrue. That is true. And I do think you see that in the Apostle Paul. You don't see it in Martin Luther. You don't see it in me. Um, <clears throat> but when a man like this says, I'm agonizing over you like childbirth. I I can't say that. Oh, I agonize over I, I can't say that, ladies and gentlemen. I'll say this. It is certainly dramatic. It is certainly emotional. This man, I think, had it right. I don't think Martin Luther did when it came to what he felt Rome was doing to him. I don't think I get it right either. Um, the, the text closes about, I wish I could come to see you. There's a certain thing about body language, I think. We don't know what prevented Paul from coming. Uh, maybe he was in prison. I don't know. Um, but he does say this. D- just to close up this little section of a pastor in a congregation fighting, he basically said, I am at my wit's end over you. Um, I, I, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am (laughs) perplexed about you. That's a man who, he does it right. Jimmy Young doesn't. Martin Luther didn't. But the principle is still true, ladies and gentlemen. Um, True teachers aren't looking for, for proselytes. They're not looking for followers. And I will say this in my little bit of defense. One of the reasons that I've never gone on Facebook is that, first of all, it's a waste of time. But the idea of having followers? You want followers? I don't. I don't want any of them. I don't want you following me. I'll lead you to the pit. I want you to follow Christ. Be loyal to Christ. You don't need to be loyal to me. I'm not worth being loyal to. Um, this guy got it right. Me and Martin Luther, we still got some work to do. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, use your word to, to remind people of the, the real things that go on amongst Christians and, uh, and the real battles that are, that are fought um, over truth. The real, the real issues that arise when you, when you desert that pristine, simple, beautiful gospel. Might, might that sweet gospel always be the standard in our midst? Might that be the thing that leads us Christ and Him crucified in all of the great provision.